Welcome to the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. Here are your hosts, Daniel Meyer and Chris Tatro. Welcome back to the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. Tonight we're joined by John from Johnny Boy Charters out of Ohio. And pretty interesting story with how he got connected with HHO, uh, Clay, out of our Colorado chapter. And his time in the outdoors, you know, he, he grew up fishing and hunting, and he turned that into into his profession. He's been been guiding on Lake Erie as a fishing charter for about 13 years, and then recently, in the last few years, started he became a professional guide for turkeys out there in Ohio. So, John, we appreciate you coming on, and appreciate you know the the things that you've done for the organization this past year, and and what you guys have going on. Yeah, it's been an honor for your, uh, you guys to introduce me on this and, uh, you know, just been absolutely one of the favorite organizations that I work with or donate trips to, um, just the camaraderie with you guys, you know, everybody that I've had on a trip so far, I want to say like we, you know, came in as strangers and left as uh longtime buddies. So. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, do you just want to let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself and what your history looks like in the outdoors and where it's brought you to current day? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of it stems with uh, just starting off hunting and fishing with my dad. Um, he's the one that got me into it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure at the age of two, um, my, uh, my mom told me that uh, he had to watch me and we ended up in a goose blind. And I think I was in a pack and play with earplugs in. So <laughs> um, but you know, by far the first hunting memory that I have is five years old, uh, going turkey hunting with my dad and him, uh, shooting a, a nice Tom and, uh, it just blossomed from there. Um, and then on the fishing side of things, um, ever since I can hold a, hold a rod, he was taking me fishing and then, uh, he's always had a boat. So we were always fishing Lake Erie for walleye and perch steelhead, you know, pretty much anything that we can catch out of Lake Erie we've been targeting for you know that amount of time so pretty much ever since you could you could hold a rod in your hand and fire a fire a gun you've been you've been in the outdoors <laughs> yeah pretty That's much nice. uh, when my mom was uh first told my dad you she was pregnant he went out and bought a uh, chipmunk 22 and she looked at him and she's like well what happens if it's a girl and he's like well she'll be a hell of a shot that's awesome so the outdoor life started early and everything and then as you grew up you obviously enjoyed it more and more and got more into the guiding business side of things want to walk us through what that looked like yeah so um you know pretty much it was uh when i got introduced to guiding it was the end of my sophomore year of college my dad called me up after my last final he's like hey can you pass a drug test and i'm like well yeah why (laughs) <laughs> why is this a question? And uh, he's like, all right, well, you're going to Beaver Falls PA for two weeks to get your guide license. And I'm like, all right. So went out, did that. And then, uh, so I was 20 when that happened. So ever since I was uh, 20 years old that summer, um, got a job as a captain on a 50 foot perch boat, you know, a head boat taking about 35 people out on Lake Erie perch fishing. And then it just kind of grew from there. Was your, your dad a guide or was that just, you know, he, no, it was just something that he's seen. Yeah. It was something that he saw as a way to, um, I think for some write-offs, but it was just something that, you know, a lot of friends of his were doing at the time or like, man, I wish I would have done this, you know, 20 years ago. So he had me do it. He's actually a guide now. 
Um, he got his about five years later. Um, just with it, what he had going on with work, it was just hard for him to, you know, take the time off to kind of, you know, dedicate time to taking people out. Yeah. And is guiding what you, what you do full-time? I did it full-time for uh, eight years. Um, and then ever since he got, um, he retired. So we kind of more or less, he handles like the, the week stuff. And then I kind of take over on the weekends. So there's a little bit of a flexibility there, just kind of more or less, just kind of, you know, building that book of business to eventually get to that back to that full-time status. And just, uh, cause I was working for, um, about three different, um, charter captains at the time that owned like fleets of boats and just running for them. And I uh, just kind of dialed that back, um, recently and just taking it from there. What kind of, uh, what kind of boat do you run? Um, do you have your own, I assume now? Yeah. So we run, uh, primarily, you know, we specialize in two to four person, uh, charters. So it's a little bit easier versus like getting those like five to six people together. Um, it's just easier to, and it's a little bit more affordable too. I mean, it kind of boils down to about the same rate, but it's can be a little bit more expensive on those bigger boats cause they're burning more gas. So they're a little bit more, uh, heavy-handed to hit you with a fuel surcharge when they got to go 10 miles out or more to get on the fish. What's the primary targeted fish that your clients go for? So for the past three years, it's been walleye and then in the early spring and then in the late fall, we'll go after steelhead um, on the boat. It's just uh, the way the walleye population is now, it's really decimated uh, the perch population and then the commercial fishing um, you know, pretty much in the Great Lakes, can like the Canadians, they're allowed to net for walleye on the U.S. side, it's perch. So it just kind of between those two and then the carmorants, the perch population has really took a hit. And uh, we just haven't run a perch trip and it's going on three or four years just because we don't want to take people's money and then not produce or have, uh, you know, we're, we're the type, we'll, we'll cancel a trip if we don't think we're going to go out and put on a a good trip for people. We'd rather reschedule than just run the trip to run the trip. That's admirable. Yeah. So really making sure that you're, you're taking care of the the clients that you guys get and they're not just going for a boat ride for, you know, an eight hour day. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I've done that before. Boat rides. Yeah. (laughs) We, we, we've done a couple of those. Um, And then with the steelhead fishing. So I was in, I, I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania before moving back out here to Oregon and all the steelhead boats, they would always guide like, you know, you'd see them just quarter mile off the shore. Is that, is that typically where you guys are fishing there? Yeah, that's typically it. The, um, the, we can also get on them in this, like in this, like dead of summer, like, like July and August, like out in deeper water, they'll start kind of congregating out deeper, like with the thermocline, they'll be right there mixed in with the walleye. So you can end up with, you know, a limit of walleye and usually a couple steelhead. But as the water temperatures drop, they kind of start sucking into those uh, harbors and marinas and the streams. So we'll just troll the river mouth uh, for them. And then uh, my, something I started doing the past uh, about three years now is uh depending on the ice conditions is we'll actually do uh, guided ice fishing trips for them. And it's just an absolute blast catching those things on, you know, 36 inch rods and just, you know, pretty much you're in a battle for a good 
30 minutes before we can get them on the ice. Wow. That's awesome. How much ice yeah. do you guys usually end up producing with your winter fishing? How, how <laughs> thick does it get? You know, typically like right now we would uh, be close to doing it, but with the way the temps have been this year, I've been having to go all the way up into Michigan and even Wisconsin to uh, get on ice. Um, we got a good stretch here going now. Um, that was one of the trips that, you know, I was hoping to do for you, you know, to donate for you, but it was going to be kind of a last minute one. Um, I'm not usually the first one on the ice and I'm not usually the last one on just, you know, knock on wood, just never go through. But, uh, you know, typically once we get above five inches, I'm more than comfortable with having, you know, running a trip on that. Um, but besides for that, I don't want to take a risk with other people out there. Yeah. It's a lot better being safe than sorry, especially with how quickly ice ice conditions can change. Oh yeah, absolutely. And especially on the, like, cause we'll be fishing right on the river. So depending on the current, you can go from five inches of ice to two inches of ice. If that current picks up, you know, downstream and it's, you know, deteriorating, deteriorating the ice underneath and everything seems fine up top. You know, you just got to keep an eye on that. You know, usually I'll drop my transducer and hang it right on the edge as kind of a gauge or a marker. That's, that's a good trick actually, <laughs> especially with that big open water it can really change things quick. And Lake Erie had a pretty big impact with the zebra mussels out there too. I'm sure that had a lot to do with your fish population issues. Yeah. So, um, when those got introduced, it really cleaned the lake up. And, um, in 2008, we had a real, like at that time, it was the best hatch Lake Erie had ever seen. And then in 2010 to 2013, pretty much we were just going out and catching 25 inches to pretty much, you know, 28 was your average. So, you know, just, you know, very quality fish. And now we have about four back to back to back years of hatches coming through. So what you'll see is like about three years ago, we would have to catch like a hundred fish to keep 36. And now since that age class has grown, you know, you just keep seeing the boards getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, the trip we ran this year, we were averaging about, I think about 22 inches was about our average and we only had to be out there the first the first day they didn't believe me we got a delayed start um i believe it was maureen needed to be picked up you know she landed and got picked up from the airport and uh so we left the dock at like 11 i'm like well we'll probably be back in by two at the latest and they're kind of laughing thinking i was just pulling their leg and it took us about an hour and a half to catch uh 30 fish wow and on on that trip there was what four people that you took out right one of one of our field staff and then three others correct yep and how that was a multi-day trip right you guys did the did the first day took took an hour and a half hour and a half the second day took a little bit longer the fish moved just a little bit but we got her dialed in and i think it that one might have been like two and a half three hours to catch 30 fish so for open water fishing um you don't have to tell us your secrets or anything like that, but what kind of, how are you guys chasing those walleye? Are you guys throwing out planer boards and stuff like that? Predominantly we'll be running, um, planer boards or dipsies. It just kind of depends on if they're hitting more on cranks or spoons. So that those both days, um, the first day, I honestly really wish we would have casted for them at first. It's just, you know, with being a guide and, you know, doing a trip, it's just making sure we put the fish in the cooler um, but the second day it was completely flat. So you need a little bit of wind to give you that drift, but 
besides for that, when we're trolling, it's, uh, you know, on that's like, it's a 21 foot Hughes craft or 20, 21 foot Hughes craft. I think it's 20 and a half technically, but we run uh, the yellow birds for like anything like uh, cranks or something like that. And then off our dipsies is where we'll run like crawler harnesses or spoons. So we'll be, uh, we just finally got bumped up to three rods. So we got, uh, we got 12 rod holders on the boat. And I honestly, those, when it's on, you're lucky to keep three, three rods in the, in the water. That's a lot to manage. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of rods. <laughs> Organized chaos. That's what we call it. Right. Yeah. It can get chaotic quick with having that many rods in the, in the boat, especially if, you know, six of them go off at the same time. Yeah. I think, I think at one point we had close to everybody with a rod in their hand and then two more fish on waiting to come in. So it's just kind of a load and reload kind of a venture. It's a good problem to yeah. have. Fast, oh, fast absolutely. In there. It, and it kind of is nice too. Cause it kind of forces not, I I'm more of a, like hands-on where it's just like, as much as I can get the people on the trip involved to the level they want to be, the more fun they're going to have. So it's like the less I do, the more they're involved and the more they're having fun. So pretty much by day two, they were setting lines, netting fish. And, you know, if they knock a couple off, who cares? There's more coming in right after it. So do you run live bait at all ever? Or The only time we'll run live bait would be like crawler harnesses. And then, uh, you know, if we're jigging in the early spring, we'll run minnows. But besides for that, everything's artificial. Usually when Dan and I and some others head over to Lake Michigan, we'll uh, end up doing suspended crawler harnesses on Lake Michigan, uh, a Green Bay area. And that's that's something that me being from Minnesota, I'm not used to uh, running planer boards with crawler harnesses. Usually that's something that we bounce off the bottom of our lakes here. But it was pretty unique experience and different, but very effective, too, if you know what you're doing. Yeah, so we'll yeah. actually, we'll troll um, the bottom bouncers because you can, you know, we'll run like a, usually like the heavier one, like a 12 ounce off the corners, just more of a down rod. And you can more or less just dial that in because the change, like the depth of like when we're trolling, say like a, a bandit, like a deep diving bandit, to change the depth, you got to bring the board in and then adjust the feet out from the lure to the rod tip to change the depth that that lure is diving versus just kind of crank it up five or 10 feet and it's getting that dialed in on like a, you know, a corner rod or a bottom bouncer. Yeah. The green Bay trips, they usually they'll put the planter boards out, but they don't bounce them off the bottom. They hit different letters, levels of the water column. So they try to figure out where the fish are coming in, in those schools. And then once we figure out the right depth and they start doing the planter boards and they just, sit them at that depth for that time frame for everyone. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's typically what we'll do too, is, you know, you'll kind of, you know, you'll be marking fish and usually the higher fish are the more active fish in the water column. And they'll actually come up more like five to 10 feet to hit that lure. And there's sometimes, you know, depending on the depth and your cone angle, you're not kind of picking up. So even if you're only marking like one or two fish every so often up high, you might be marking like actually going over more just because, you know, your outside board is 150 feet off, you know, the boat and you're just not marking the fish out there. So we'll usually, I like to start a little bit higher and then to kind of drop my way down into them. And then, yeah, once you get that dialed in, typically there's only like two to three depths that we're running lures that we're catching fish at. 
Yeah, and it's those those outside ones that, you know, for the, the people that aren't experienced that it really takes some getting used to because you have to really watch those. Okay, keep an eye on them because they'll, they'll they'll get off there pretty quick from our experience fishing the Green Bay area. Yeah, it's um, definitely a trained eye type of thing for that those outside boards because they'll get a little bit more action. But pretty much once you get more than like three to four birds out on per side, you, you'll get them running. And as long as you're running close to the same depth and the same kind of setup or program on that side, the boards will be running in unison. And then you'll just see a board start screaming back. And that's when you know you got a fish on that's pretty cool, though, especially everyone's heads on a swivel. So that you hear you hear some of those lines start or the drag going on some of those rods a little bit. And, the, and especially when you get those wavy days, you know, when you're when your rods start dipping into the water a little bit and they'll tug on them and you you're, you'll jump those rods a little too soon. And the guide's like, nope, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, I've won a little bit of money making bets on people on which rods got fish on it and which ones don't. Now, speak, speaking of making money, have dude, you ever? I can't remember the name of it. There's the the big walleye tournament out of out of Ohio. It's dude, the fall pre- brawl and the yeah, the slam. Yeah, so yeah, yeah you we guys participate we'll, in that. Yeah, we participate in it. Um, just never gotten lucky yet, as far as you know, catching. We'll catch you know ten to eleven, but typically you got to be in the twelve to thirteen pound range to be in the money. What's the what's the pot on that tournament tournament usually go go for? It's, it's pretty well, high if I remember right. First place is uh, pretty much a brand new. I think this year was uh, either a uh, uh, what is it Ranger or Warrior walleye boat, and it's usually pretty rigged up. So it's uh, like a deep fee. So about a hundred uh, hundred and twenty thousand dollar boat. Um, second place is usually like a Hughes craft. So like a $80,000 boat. And then depending on which one, like third through, uh, 10th place is just a cash payout. Those Hughes crafts, they're pretty good boats. Yeah, we, it's just the way they, uh, honestly, the way they set them up, it's more designed to be a trolling boat. Cause pretty much the cockpit is more pushed forward on it. And there's a lot of room in the back. So you can have like on normal boats, it's like you got like your flat, your front is like a jigging platform. But sometimes, you know, we've had a, a, a Lumacraft that way. And that's just a nice place for someone else to sit. That's just not in rotation yet. But where this is like, there's an enclosed cabin. So like in the early spring, fall, I mean, we've been fishing um, in January and February on open water and we just put a heater in there go inside warm up and just kind of watch the boards and once you get one on you go outside and reel it in and get everything taken care of oh correct me if i'm wrong i think those are made in minnesota i think they're made up in international falls is that right no they're out in uh i want to say it's oregon or washington is oh, where the okay. Hughes the are made. i was away yeah. out front. oh it must be just a dealer that's up there then there's probably a dealer because, um, like, the two big ones out that way are the Hughes Crafts and the North River. And, the, I mean, North those boats River. are pretty well built, too. Are they uh, – they're welded and yeah. riveted and pretty heavy, Yeah, right? so the, yeah, yeah, they're welded and not riveted. So that's, not riveted. Uh, yep. Yeah. No, they're pretty impressive boats, but they handle the water really well, too. How did you get introduced yeah. to HHO, then? How did you end up meeting with Clay? 
So, um, I, I believe it was my first or second trip out to Colorado elk hunting and just was kind of scrolling through some different posts and just happened to come across Clay's post about, you know, kind of, you know, taking some people out and this and that, or anybody that wanted to donate any trips. And I thought it was just kind of, you know, I never heard of HHO. So I just, you know, reached out to him and said, Hey, um, you know, I'm willing to, you know, donate a turkey trip and a walleye trip in Ohio. If, you know, I'm not sure if you guys travel that far and then come to find out that it's nationwide. So that's kind of how everything started was with uh, Clay. It's, Have you it's wild how, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's wild how, how easily social media can connect people. You know, you, you traveling all the way from Ohio, meeting, meeting someone in Colorado just from, you know, a simple, simple post on social media. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was just something where I seen it and read his post and was just, you know, definitely, you know, something that like I usually donate to uh, my one friend, he does a uh, smiles for or forever in Ohio, you know, so it's just a nonprofit. So, you know, I, you know, donate trips for him when they're having like a charity or a raffle or anything. And, uh, you know, to some, you know, wrestling clubs, you know, when they're doing a couple drives and, you know, by far, this is my favorite one to work with just because of, uh, it's just not something where somebody's coming on a trip. It's just, you know, most of them are either into the outdoors or getting into the outdoors and just not going on a fishing trip. So, or a Turkey trip. What are all the trips that you have hosted for us? Uh, so far to date, um, it was a spring Turkey hunt and then that two day walleye one. Was the turkey trip the one that Aaron Schiller came out for? Yes. Yeah, that's the one that uh, Aaron drove down from Minnesota. He drove like 16 hours yeah. uh, to get down for. And then uh, Denny, who won that hunt, was the veteran that got drawn. And just going like listening to his story, um, I'm going to get the dates completely wrong on the, the timeline for him. But I'm pretty sure he lost his dad in the early, like, I want to say, sept- like February, March. Um, about a month beforehand, his house burnt down, um, like completely lost everything. And, um, I actually, um, reached out to him. I was going down to hunt in Kentucky and which was only maybe like a four or five hour drive for him. And, uh, just reached out to him to see if it was something that, you know, you know, usually most of the, most of the time I'm just looking for people to like go out with and just share the outdoors with, you know, on some of those hunts. And he was, uh, he was right there and had to be home for Easter uh, Sunday, but we hunted Sunday and or Saturday and uh, came close to getting the deal sealed. But, you know, they uh, they alluded us that day. And then the following week is when he came to Ohio and we met up with uh, me, him and Aaron. So Aaron got in first and we went out and kind of scouted and roosted some birds. And because uh, our opening day was Saturday. So my sister shot her first turkey that that Sunday and then uh, got that taken back. And um, Sunday night, met up with Aaron and then Denny. Monday, it was kind of quiet in the woods. Um, then uh, Aaron actually ended up, We they were almost on, a, they were on a bird. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, before that, but. Ended up, Aaron was uh, got in touch with a uh, a local guy. Just Aaron being Aaron and being social, and found some yeah. uh, private land that we can find. And uh, we went out, scouted that out uh, Monday uh, evening, and then Sunday, uh, 
Aaron went to hunt the other side of the road. Me and Denny went to where they had heard some birds roosted before. Um, it was definitely a memorable hunt. We we had one bird maybe a hundred yards away in the roost. He pitched down and he just started. Uh, he was just gobbling right, probably in a strut zone or just right off the roost, just waiting for the hen to come to him. And I just remember looking at him and going, "Well, we can hope he comes to us, or uh, we can just go at him." Like I have a like a strutting Tom decoy, just that you know the run and gun, scoot and shoot like the yeah. reaper decoy so i'm like we can grab that and just kind of go at him and he's like yeah let's do it so we go at him and he just i don't think the bird was quite in range for him or he didn't feel comfortable taking the shot but he we got close to him and the bird ended up going the other way but there was a couple more birds off in the distance so we started just going after them and long story short we had one gobble down in the bottom we go down and he gobbles and he's like this just about on top of us so i took a different route just so we had some time you know put some distance between us and uh got set up real quick we had a hen at like 10 yards uh clucking and uh i was hoping he wasn't going to shoot her and then because the tom was maybe another 15 yards behind him and he came right up and i just <laughs> i have a video of it i'm just going shoot 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 he finally <laughs> right. pulled the trigger <laughs> rolled the bird and uh ended up being i think like inch and a half spurs and i want to say 11 or 12 inch beard wow and he, yeah it was uh very memorable and um, he ended was up going back bird? home that night because yeah it was his first bird cool so i got it got it on tape for him and nice so i ended up going home home after that? something i'm working on yeah sorry you said he went ended up going home right away after that so he ended up going home because indiana season opened up and the following morning he ended up shooting his second ever turkey um from you know his, in indiana and then wow. that day it was windy and cold and aaron and i hunted our butts off that day and uh it wasn't like i think it was 11 30 we just made it to the truck and uh we just heard this, uh, sorry, it was 1145 when we got to the truck and we can only hunt till noon in the first two weeks in Ohio. And we just heard the faintest gobble. So we cut the distance, got to right at the edge of the property. I'm about 20 yards back calling and just pretty much going nuts, doing anything I can. And it sounded like Jake's coming in. And next thing you know, there's uh, two redheads pop up and he said he was just going to shoot anything. He didn't come drive 16 hours to, for tag soup. So he ended up shooting the one and ended up being a really nice Tom. And uh, I think it was at uh, 1157 is when he uh, pulled the trigger. Because I remember looking at my watch going, like, we got five minutes. <laughs> I need to hurry up. <laughs> Does the season close a little earlier yeah, than on those days? <laughs> Um, so the first two weeks you can only hunt till noon. The second two weeks you can hunt all day. So it's okay. about a month long season. So it's a little bit short in that aspect compared to like Michigan and other states. But what's the reason for that? Is that so it gives them a chance to get back to roost? And well, it, I think I think it's just that way you're not hunting them all day because not to say they open it too soon, but it's just that there's no more pressure. The birds can still mate and do their thing. And you're not bumping the hens off their nest super early. 
Because if you're out trouncing through the woods and you kick a hen off her nest early, the less likely she is to come back to that clutch. That makes sense. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that one before. I know that like our pheasant season usually starts later in the morning. You know, can't hunt until nine. But same reasons, you know, roost wise and nesting wise. But I haven't heard of that for turkey before. So that's unique. Yeah. What turned you on turkey hunting? Sorry, Dan. Are you good? Go ahead, John. Um, pretty much ever since, uh, I don't know, five years old and going hunting with my dad for that first time, it was just something that, you know, it was my favorite thing to go hunt for until I got uh, introduced to elk hunting. Now it's elk, then turkey, but it's just, you know, being out there and pretty much interacting with them and just, you know, communicating with them and just kind of, you know, the dance that goes along with it and just trying to figure out what kind of mood they're in, you know, where they're likely to go. Um, Cause most of the time you're going off of reactions that you don't know if they got other hens with them or what's going on. And it's just part of the, part of the hunt that makes it memorable. Yeah. And then, and then there in Ohio, are you guys mostly hunting, hunting in fields? Are you guys hunting in, you know, wooded areas? Most of it is wooded areas. Um, there is some parts that there's some fields um the past three years three to four years is when i've kind of started being a little bit more aggressive with it um like my one buddy's daughter um we were on a kind of we seen the birds out in the field and just they would they were with hens there was two toms and they just would they didn't care how loud or what box call slate call mouth call they would not even turn and look at you so i just i think she was 13 at the time i just looked at her i'm like all right we're gonna get to this tree i'm gonna crawl out there with this uh it was just a three-quarter strut jake decoy got to the edge of the field and uh she's like maybe three three to five yards behind me and i'm like just make sure you shoot the thing before it starts flogging me please so i got to the edge and i just turned it like i called and it just started turning the head and it, those they they locked on they gobbled and just like a dead sprint right at us and at one point i look up and they're about 30 yards out and i'm like well she better start i'm just waiting for the shot and then i kind of look they're like 15 yards up and i'm like oh no <laughs> and then finally once i thought like oh no is when she shot and just rolled the bird and it was, uh, that, it's just a different. Well, was that her Sorry. first time hunting? No, she had killed a couple other ones. Um, between he's got five kids between the three of them. Like I put him on his first Tom, uh, about five years ago. And then a couple of his kids on their first, you know, birds, as far as, you know, just being there calling. And, uh, you know, for me, turkey hunting, it don't matter if I'm the one calling or got a gun in my hand. It's just still the, like, I still get the same rush from it. Are they, sorry, Dan, I keep interrupting you. Are they mostly, uh, Easterns that are there? Yeah. So they're all Easterns out there. Um, this year was the first year I took uh, three of my buddies out. So the two brothers and their dad out to Colorado after the Miriams, cause I'd been out there about for three years prior to that. Um, chasing them so it had a pretty good feeling on it and uh we went out there and went four for four in colorado last year or yeah last year and then are you gonna take a shot doing the grand slam sometime 
Yeah, the only one I'm not too sure about is the the Florida. That one I might spring and just go with a guide so I can pretty much in Colorado or sorry, in uh, Florida, the state lands, the swamp land, the private lands, the highland. And the one thing I can't do is I can't deal with snakes. Like, can't do it. Everyone's got <laughs> no. their Achilles heel. I get and it. That is, uh, for sure, that is for sure mine. <laughs> yeah. Florida, and Florida's full of stuff that can kill you, so... Just Absolutely. So without, without knowing the area. Yeah. yeah so that's perhaps. the one I'll probably get a guide for, but the Rio I'm looking into, you know, kind of doing what I did out in Colorado was I just found some private land that I could just lease for like a week and go chase birds on it. And, uh, look, and then just kind of, while I'm there, I'll kind of scout out the state land in that area that you can hunt. And for the Grand Slam for our listeners, uh, through the National Wild Turkey Federation, it's um, to achieve a Grand Slam, a hunter must harvest and register the four most common subspecies of wild turkey, which is the Eastern Rio Grande, Miriams, and Osceola birds that are out of Florida. So that that will complete your Grand Slam. And is there generally a timeline? It has to be one year. No, that's like a there's like a one year Grand Slam, or there's just a general Grand Slam. So just harvesting all four in your lifetime. And then there's a one year grand slam where you kill all four in the same season. Okay. Well, I'm at two. I've got, I've done a Miriam and Eastern had a shot at some reels down in Texas this last year, but they were out of range, but uh, that I hear you though on the Osceola one. That one's a yeah, then, then you get into the, yeah, the world slam that's on my bucket list. So that's the golds. So there's like the Mexico slam. So like the gold Miriam. And then there's also the oscillated, which is uh, pretty much in the the rainforest. That one is a uh, going to be a fun hunt. It's going to be a tall yeah, order. A, getting out of there. Yeah. So, but yeah, then, with COVID and everything, it kind of knocked it down to just staying in the states. But everything's kind of opening back up. So. And then you you mentioned elk hunting in in Colorado too. Do you do you do that? You know. So self-guided or do you, do you go with a guide out there in Colorado when you go? Yeah. So, um, pretty much my old boss is the one that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of this. Like before I started working, this was five years ago or six years ago. It was something that I just thought, you know, oh yeah, going out West sounds fun, but probably expensive. But, you know, he took me on two guided, I went on a guided moose hunt in Alberta and then a guided elk hunt in Alberta. And then after that, everything's been DIY over the counter tags in uh, Idaho or Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Kind of coming out here, you know, it's, it's hard. We, we've got a ton of public and state land out in Colorado, Oregon, Idaho to, to hunt, but there's a lot of, a lot of ground to cover. So the, the DIY yeah. hunts, especially for people that don't live out here can be, can be pretty tough. Yeah, me and my cousin came out the first year after we hunted Idaho, and I mean, we felt like we did enough diligence in our training, and we pulled into camp at midnight, which was, I guess, technically 10 o'clock our time, and just full of piss and vinegar and ready to go, and we got our packs together, and it was like, well, we can either sleep here or get a couple miles in, and we picked a spot on the map. I think it was like four miles in, which, you know, out here is nothing i think we maybe made it like a mile and a half two miles before we're like yep we're good find the find find the flat spot call it good <laughs> yeah it's a lot the, of work. those those mountains will kick your ass every time yeah. <laughs> oh yeah we were parking it i think 
nine five um pretty much where we got like our base camp was at 12 eight and then we were just like well, let's just get high and then we'll just drop down in on them <laughs> in theory that's yeah. a good plan yeah and in theory well the third day of our first time in colorado we we got that theory to work for us and then uh once we got it all packed out we uh got our butts handed to us the other the rest of the 10 days we were there i haven't done an elk hunting yet though but it's on the bucket list it'll happen someday but i'll get there yeah it's uh you can't be in enough shape for it. I'll just say that like uh, the other guys we ran into were from uh, Michigan and we're like, do you guys do anything to train for this? He's like, the only thing you think you can do to train for out here is just practice breathing through a straw while you're on a treadmill. Uh, probably pretty accurate. With the <laughs> yeah. Especially going to, going to Colorado. Coming up to Oregon, it's not as bad because you know, you're, you're coming straight off from sea level. And, you know, you might go up 6,000, 8,000 feet, but not really much above that. Yeah, that's how uh, where we hunt at in Idaho is. It's, you know, about six to seven. I think one time we made it up to eight. But besides for that, it was, you know, we call it the bunny hills. (laughs) Yeah. What other trips do you have uh, planned in the hopper for some of our HHO members? So I'm going to do another, well, I'm depending on the ice, I'm going to try and get an ice trip together. Um, but besides for that, you know, definitely another turkey hunt, um, at least one, maybe two more walleye trips. I know we were, I was work talking to Clay about trying to get some guys together to, you know, do that, uh, walleye slam, um, terminate like in the fall pretty much like the summertime you're just like going on a meat run whereas like in the early spring and fall is when you're just going after big fish i mean we'll catch other fish along the way but we're kind of uh looking for the one yeah that's pretty cool what's the what's the biggest walleye that you've got out of there uh so far it's uh 13 pounds 33 inches wow Wow. that's a big fish big walleye yeah yeah, hitting 30 inches in Minnesota is uh, quite the task. Even 28 inches, is a, it's a really nice fish up here, but hitting 30 or above is incredibly rare, so that's a really nice fish. Yeah, yeah. so there's the two I got on the wall right now, one's 12.5, that was uh, trolling, and then the other one was uh, through the ice in 15 or 16, and uh, that's just like uh, one of the guys, it was the last trip, he drove all the way from Minnesota, and uh, with his dad, instead of going to spring break, just got back from the service, was in school. Um, he just wanted, he wanted to catch a 10 pound plus fish. It's all he wanted to do. And we were supposed to be out there for, I think three or four days, but it was like the beginning of March. And, uh, the first fish he hooked into was, uh, I think 10 and a half, 29 or 30 inches. And then his dad, you know, caught a couple hooked into a steelhead but it was just one of those ones where coming in, it was like, it just never got below freezing. So it just turned into just a sheet of fog out there on the ice. And, uh, it wasn't freezing at night. So it just turned slushy. So slushy and fog. It, I just, and, uh, kind of like, there's like a, a like a stretch crack. So there's typically you'll have a couple cracks, but then there's usually like a, 
like a fault line almost where there's always a crack there because it's just always shifting almost like a pivot point there and uh my back tires went in a little bit and uh i wasn't going back out but they they had all their own stuff i told them i would give them every coordinate that i have and any reports that i get the next two days i just didn't feel comfortable taking them out you know having that on you know me and uh they said hey if you're not going to go then you know we're not going to risk it either and pretty much you know they got got to do what they wanted to do and so i'm just glad that you know that day he caught what he came on that trip for oh that's good that's really yeah, good. You gonna do any, uh, it. yeah you do any spring turkey hunts yes yeah, so, um i know we're working with clay on getting one set up with uh him and a veteran out in colorado and then uh another one in ohio problem i run into a turkey season is i only have so many vacation days so it's kind of one of those <laughs> like last year like i think i had well, i got one out in colorado but i had guided like 12 birds and it was the last day of the season and i still hadn't got my ohio tag filled yet <laughs> so oh yeah <laughs> yeah so it just sure. turns into a little bit of planning but luckily with you know the st- surrounding states and whatnot you can kind of extend your season one way or another a little bit so either uh Kentucky or Ohio with a veteran. And then, uh, you know, out in Colorado, we're trying to get something set up. Um, just trying to make sure that the problem with out there is just making sure we don't get hit with, uh, you guys don't get hit with a bunch of snow out there. Uh, we're always it's, getting snow. <laughs> you you, you guys have been what? getting smashed with snow this year out yeah, there. It's a lot. No, it's, and then, it makes for a really long long winter but when spring comes and we get out turkey hunting at least we can get out not cooped up anymore and it's kind of the fun part about turkey you know being cooped up all all winter then getting out and start listening to the the woods come back alive and see things green up and interacting with those birds it just makes that much more special oh absolutely and then you know we're so we're coming up on about 45 minutes here um you know in talking about spring is a, is a great transition point for that. Uh, with spring coming up, you know, you've, you've got your, your turkey hunting that you'll guide and then get into fishing here, here in the next couple months um, or, or sooner if the ice cooperates with you, how, how can people get a hold of you if they wanted to book a, book a charter trip or a, a guided turkey hunt? Yeah. So my website's just johnnyboycharters.com. Um, everything, the only thing that's not on there is Turkey, but I'm pretty sure my number's on there. So if they're looking for a Turkey hunt, um, just give me a call. Um, I don't know if there's a, like a link or something you guys can put with my, uh, number on it. Just reach out Certainly. regardless of Turkey or, uh, you know, charters. And then, uh, you know, even if you just want to text me for some, you know, advice on stuff, cause you know, I've had guys come out and just, uh, you know, they got their own stuff. They're just maybe not having success that they're looking for and just kind of give them some different tactics to try or, you know, pull up where they're hunting at and just kind of give them an idea of, you know, hey, try something up here or, you know, maybe you're calling too much. You know, that's a lot of thing with turkey that you run into. And then on Lake Erie, it's, you know, right now there's not really a big secret. So if you guys um, have, you know, anybody you know, give me a call if they got, if they're nearby or local or the surrounding States and can drive it out. Um, you know, more than happy to tell them what we're running and where we're fishing out of and, 
all that information. So it's just. Yeah. And do you, do you bounce around where you, where you launch out of, or do you, do you typically launch out of, out of the same place throughout the year? Yeah. So pretty much in the uh, springtime, we're out of the Western end because pretty much the walleye right now are migrating uh, to the Western end of the lake, which is the shallowest end. And there's like reefs and that's where they go up like the different rivers to spawn. So they're all pretty much, I would say about, uh, we'll just go with a safe number. 75% of the walleye population is going to be on the Western end from about spring to about May. And then once they drop their eggs and the water temps start warming up is when they'll start shooting out west or shooting east. So we just kind of follow the fish as they go. Um, that's one of the beauties to having a boat that you can trailer. You're not married to a dock location. So, you know, if there's a hot bite out of Cleveland, we'll fish Cleveland. If the next day or the next week, if, you know, the fish are kind of hot off of uh, Lorraine, we'll go out of Lorraine or Fairport. I mean, we pretty much fish one end of the lake to the other. So from uh, Toledo to Conneaut. Okay. So stick, stick true to what you, what you said earlier about, you know, making sure that you're, you're getting the, the clients on, on the fish, no matter where we're at in the lake, they're going to be. Yeah. Cause what you'll notice with like booking, if you go to just book another trip with, you know, other captains and they're out of, uh, you know, Port Clinton's is a real popular spot, but if you're going there from like June to July and August, you're going on about a 25 mile boat ride. You may or may not need to have your passport with you to go into the Canadian waters and get a Canadian fishing license. And pretty much what that means for everybody is just more money being spent versus just driving further East and going out there and only going 15 miles out versus 20. So. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Got to make it easier. Yeah. So, you know, as, as John said, you know, Go on his website, johnnyboycharters.com. And if you can't get his on, on his website, we'll put his phone number in the, the description of this, this podcast so that way you guys can reach out to him directly and hopefully book a trip with him for either fishing or turkey hunting. Uh, Chris, have you got any, any more questions or anything to add? Anything on social media that you, people can follow you on? Um, just my personal page is where I do most of my stuff. I'm not a... I got all the stuff. I'm just I'm not horrible about posting on it most of the time. Um, but Facebook, Instagram, um, just, you know, John Dittrich. And uh, on Facebook, there is Johnny Boy Charters page. Most of the stuff is just on my personal page. So do you want to spell your last name for the listeners so they can follow yeah. you there? Yep. So it's a D-I-T-T-R-I-C-H. Awesome. And, well, thank and it's you. just J J O H N. Perfect. No, I just want to thank yeah, you very so. much for everything that you do. You know, it, you got a lot of experience and it's being put to good use and really appreciate you helping out our members and getting them in the outdoors. And we look forward to future trips with you and the relationship to grow. Oh, absolutely. I like, I'm already looking forward to what's to come this year and, you know, trying to see what else I can do to, you know, keep growing with you guys. Yeah, we're we're definitely looking forward to it, and and you sharing the the wealth of knowledge that you have in the the outdoors world with with those that we serve. So you know, appreciate you spending the the last hour with us here on the podcast, and we'll have to get you back on once once we get some of these these spring and and fall fishing trips done. You know, maybe, maybe do a recap of of the year. Yeah, winter. absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. 
All right. Awesome. Appreciate you coming on. And until next time, we will see you guys out on the water and in the woods. Thank you for listening to the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. For more information about Hometown Hero Outdoors, visit our webpage at www.hometownherooutdoors.org.